in our series on prayer, looking at the prayers that Jesus prayed in his ministry. And we're continuing uh, in the book of John chapter 17. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to the fourth gospel of John, John chapter 17. We will be uh, reading right away, starting uh, in verse 20. 20 to 26. John is about here in your Bible. The ribbon in my Bible is right there. That was convenient. But maybe you don't have one of those yet. You can open up your Bible and find John chapter 17. A little bit of context just to remind you, Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry, and, and he has some things to say to God. And we have been invited into this conversation that Jesus is having with the divine, that the divine is having with the divine. Uh, and Jesus continues this prayer. Maybe there's a heading in your Bible that says, Jesus prays for all believers. This is the prayer we're going to read today. Jesus starts at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The word of the Lord for these people, and it's a little confusing, isn't it? Prayer is always a mystery. How it happens, a mystery. The effects of it, a mystery. Who or what or, or when is moved in the process of it, mystery. It's a process. Prayer is a process that leads to infinite possibilities. And yet there is always a common denominator, the power and the presence of God. You see, prayer without the divine is just words. And if prayer is communicating and communing with the divine, then we must also acknowledge that the common denominator in all of our spiritual lives is God's self. We don't become spiritual because we as humans want to be spiritual. We become spirit-filled people when God is in the midst of it. It's a mystery. You want to know what else is a mystery? Math. All right? 
talked about this uh, in staff meeting, and, and Amanda did such a great job with the children this morning. Math is certainly a ministry, a, a mystery, and some of you may argue with me. You are more than welcome to your own opinions. It's probably because you are good at math. How many of you are kind of good at math? Good. Way to be honest. I appreciate that. Way to be honest. You see, math is nuts, I think, um, because it identifies things that are unknown. Now, uh, math identifies the value, the formula, the operation of things, noting uh, the interrelations, the combinations, the generalizations, and the abstractions that exist in this grand thing called the universe. This is what math tries to do for us. Math uh, um, takes mystery and it makes it more mysterious. There is no end to math, right? Yes, you know. There's no end to it. And just when you think you have it figured out, you don't. And just when you think you've got the formula figured out, they change it. Uh-huh. One time I got a, a C minus on a math test. Uh, and my, my teacher was so excited for me because it was the highest grade I had gotten that whole semester. I had worked so hard for that grade. Math doesn't just give us answers, you see. Math doesn't give us just answers. It gives us more and more ways to interact with the unknown. Connect this to prayer. Prayer, in the same way, doesn't give us just answers. It gives us more and more ways to interact with the unknown. I would define the unknown as the divine. In the last section of Jesus' prayer at the very end of his ministry, we hear him praying for those beyond his immediate disciples, those 12 or those, those uh, few that were gathered closely with him for three years. You see, he is praying into the unknown. So we look at verse 20. Starting in verse 20, Jesus says this, My prayer is not uh, for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Not for them alone, Jesus prays. Meaning that the 12 disciples or the handful of disciples that Jesus has gathered, he's kind of praying beyond them. You might remember uh, the 12 disciples. There's Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, another one, Simon, another one, Judas, and Judas. Oh, if you're following, that's two Jameses, two Simons, and two Judases. Uh, you can imagine Jesus has just had a heyday when he was trying to get them all together, right? We also know that beyond just these 12 that are named in Scripture, that Jesus had a few other disciples that, that were with him for a long time, uh, including women. There's mention of a number of Marys, uh, and it's hard to keep them straight. But, but we know that, that the whole group that Jesus had gathered together would probably be about 20 people. 20 is a good number in math, right? That feels, that feels solid for Jesus. Good job, 20. Jesus uh, prayed for these 20, these handfuls, maybe two handfuls of disciples uh, in, uh, previously in his prayer. And Pastor Paul uh, preached on that last week. And now he is doing the work of praying for the ones whom his disciples are going to disciple. You see, it's the uh, principle of 
multiplication at play. Disciples making disciples, making disciples, multiplying. And you see Jesus here, he's praying for us. For us, the ones that would come to know and love Jesus because someone else knew and loved Jesus. I wonder, who was that for you? Was there a person in your life that knew and loved Jesus? That walked with Jesus long enough and walked with you long enough to show you the love of Jesus long enough? that you started to believe it yourself? I wonder if that love grew in you and is evidenced by just being here today. You are the product of discipleship multiplication. And I wonder uh, if that love, that discipleship, that multiplying factor, if it has played into the lives of others that are in your realm. You see, Jesus is praying for the people beyond his reach, praying for the people beyond his direct sphere of influence. I'd say it's a, a prevenient prayer. It, it goes ahead of his own disciples. It, it acts as a sort of commissioning, an invitation to let all that they have known and loved and experienced and seen with their eyes and, and felt in their bodies, that they, would, that they would just start sharing that. It causes me to wonder, this, this idea of Jesus praying beyond his disciples. If I were to track back my discipleship, which disciple would be responsible for me knowing about Jesus? It's like a, a faith family tree, if you will. Maybe it was uh, one of the Jameses. That would be cool. What if it was Mary? Who might I credit with the gift of knowing Jesus? I wonder now, who might credit you in the gift of knowing Jesus? Do you find yourself a part of the equation of the multiplication of discipleship. I heard recently from a, a student I, at, at our previous church, I was a youth pastor for nearly eight years, and I heard from a student a number of months ago uh, just about some things that were forming in their own faith life. Uh, and I was very surprised by this because, um, you see, it wasn't like I was <laughs> really specifically good uh, at the discipleship multiplication with the student. I mean, I tried. Uh, but have you ever met people that are sort of fall into the realm of like being a pill? Yeah. Um, this student would fall into that category. Uh, certainly, certainly would fall into that category. And, and, and I, I gritted my teeth every time I had to interact with, with this student because they were just, they were unruly and, and they, they, were, they were obstinate, and they were frustrating. And I would do stuff like a good youth pastor does, and, and, and none of it seemed to ever stick or matter or, or change their behavior or adjust their course. They were just a pill. And they would come back and explain to me some situations that they were in. I was like, why are you doing this? Or, or, or they, would, they would be squirrely often and I was so frustrated 
And I thought, well, good. I mean, I tried the best I could, but can't save this person, which is funny. Um, I figured I had just failed this individual, that, that, that Jesus would never really be made known to them as hard as I might try, because they were just a pill. They were squirrely. I found out that Jesus had made an impression, not because of anything I had done, but because of what Jesus had done. And I was really surprised, kind of upended a little bit, that God would allow me the opportunity to be a part of this equation of faith for this individual. They may still be a pill. I know I'm a pill. But that doesn't mean that discipleship isn't happening. You see, Jesus probably dealt with pills. And Jesus prayed into this multiplication of disciples. I mean, when you think about the story of Peter, if you've ever read about Peter in the Bible, that guy was a pill, an absolute pill. And yet Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church? What was Jesus thinking? Jesus knows that this multiplication of disciples doesn't depend on the disciple, but the one who is doing the multiplying. Jesus knows that the multiplication of things is beautiful and yet also often is met by the division of things. Oh, did he know this? We keep reading uh, his prayer. He prays, um, he prays that the, for the disciples beyond the disciples. And then he says um, in verse 21 that all of them, those disciples of the disciples, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That they may be one. Oh, if Jesus would have prayed something else. Maybe that they would be nice. That would have been way easier. Uh, I wish that Jesus had prayed that they would be upstanding. We could figure that out with our own human will. No, Jesus prayed that we would be one. It's estimated that in 2020, there were 2.6 billion Christians in the world. 2.6 billion. And they were in over 40 thousand denominations. 40,000. That's some serious division there. And that's also some serious multiplication. And all of the reasons for these kinds of divisions, if we have 2.6 billion people who love Jesus, divided up into 40,000 denominations, we have a a problem of division. And there are all sorts of reasons for these kinds of divisions. Theology, certainly. Behaviors, definitely. Applications of the gospel, absolutely. Power, of course. Money, obviously. Oppressiveness, observedly. There have been and will be completely, completely appropriate reasons for some of these divisions that most often stem from people, disciples, who are replacing the ways of Jesus with their own perceptions of the ways of Jesus. You see, Jesus did not intend for us to be multiplied and then multiple. He invited us to be multiplied, not divided. Multiplied. 
but this is certainly a mystery. So Jesus prays then that we would be one. But notice what this oneness is modeled after. It's not a oneness of opinion or theological perspective or practical engagement of the gospel. No, it is one like the Trinity is one. Talk about mystery. Jesus says, just as you, Father, God, are in me and I am in you. Jesus is talking about this unique mystery of the Trinity again. It seems to be a theme in his in his prayer. You see, the Trinity is a, a name uh, to describe this three-in-one nature of God. Three distinct persons together make up the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or, or Creator, Redeemer, Advocate. This Trinity, uh, in it, there is belonging and there's also distinction. There is very intimate relationship and reliance, but there is also a, a personhood, a, a difference, a distinction. Dwelling with one another, the Trinity is, but they're also dwelling for the sake of one another. And there is nothing else like it. Jesus doesn't only pray for a oneness like the Trinity. He prays us into the relationship of the Trinity. This feels very precarious, okay? May they also, Jesus says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. We are invited to join the Trinity in unity. This isn't a prayer that we would be like the Trinity or act like the Trinity or model the Trinity. No, no, no. It's an invitation to be in unity with the Trinity. This makes no earthly sense. This is a mystery. Mathematics holds the concept of unity, and it is simply a synonym for the number one. It is uh, number one is, is the most flexible number in mathematics. It holds and maintains the functions of all other numbers and all other functions in math. You can't have any other number without having one. And the unique characteristic of unity in mathematics is that it is called the multiplicative, I think I added a syllable there, but you know what I'm trying to say. I'm not good at math. So uh, uh, the multiplicative identity meaning that uh, any number multiplied by one is itself. I had to do a lot of study on that. A lot. <laughs> if you get confused, maybe you could do some research and help me out later. Okay, that'd be great. The main uh, point is this. One, one is the identity of multiplication. I still don't fully understand. We'll let God make those connections for all of us. You see, Jesus, in his charge to multiply disciples, is looking towards the identity of oneness in multiplication. It's math. This is not a cloning. It's not an indoctrination. This is not a, a, a dividing. You see, the Trinity in its oneness, in its identity, is our multiplication. Just as the Trinity is three distinct persons forming oneness, so we 2.6 billion distinct 
persons are invited into the oneness that is the divine trinity. And I ask, how can it be? Mathematically, theologically, practically. Jesus goes on to pray in verses 22 and 23. He says, I am in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. The truth of the matter is this. We are already unified. And what I mean is that if it is Christ we follow, if it is Christ that is among us, if it is Christ that we believe in, we are already unified to Christ. And therefore, because of who Jesus is and what the Trinity is, we are also unified to every other brother and sister who is also unified with Christ. We are unified. We don't have to try to be unified. We are brought into it. But I think we get confused as a church when we conflate human unity with divine unity. Too often the church has pursued human unity for the sake of Christian unity rather than divine unity for the sake of Christ. We think that agreeing with one another equals unity. We think that deciding the same things is unity. We've distilled the results of our unity to, the, to be our ability to do things together without too much fighting. Human unity looks like a, a agreement, assimilation, peacekeeping, federation, sameness, singularity. But in the contrast, divine unity looks like discernment, consensus, peace, solidarity, identity, integrity. Divine unity relies on something outside of the human will. Divine unity has been since the creation of the, since before the creation of the world. And those who come into the belief are not forced into human unity. No, they're invited into divine unity. Here we find ourselves united with Christ. And because we are united with Christ, we are united with Christ's church. And because we are united with Christ's church, then we are united with those who are in the church. It's not because we want to. It's because God has already done it. With so much of the upcoming generations at odds with the church, and for very valid reasons, I might add, uh, I, I, this call to unity makes me wonder, even as I preach it, are we really divinely unified? We, uh, me as a, a leader in the church, we are quick to settle into human unity. I think um, upcoming generations see this. And perhaps their protest of the church is the same as the protest of the divine. I think the divine knows that our human unity will only get us so far. And I think we've seen the generations that are coming up 
pay attention, make note that this human unity we're trying is not working. The divine wants to be the source of something much more beautiful, much more mysterious, much more alive than any of us humans could ever produce, even if we try real hard. You see, when we are multiplied by oneness, we are joined in that oneness. It's divine math. Jesus continues in verse 23. I am in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them just as you loved me. The evidence of our discipleship multiplication won't just be a greater number of people who love Jesus. It won't just be that. Perhaps it will actually be the quality of being one that is evidence of our discipleship. But in a culture and in a world that says that more is better, just make more disciples. Count more of them in. We've set our gaze on, on numbers and not multiplication based on unity. We've equated thriving ministries or really good outreach or, or really good uh, conversion with the number of people that show up or change their mind, mind or are baptized. Not the ways that we, we, are being formed by the divine. And the challenging part about this is, for those of us who love or those of us who hate math, is that we cannot put a number on this. This doesn't fall into uh, good statistics. There's no graph for this one. There's no geometry or, or set things. We cannot put an, a, a number, a price, on the qualities that comprise a community when we are found in unity with the Trinity. Because it's a mystery. We are being unified with the divine. This is what Jesus prayed for us. And when we are, as we are, the world is going to know two things. Not how great we are at making disciples. No, they are going to know who Jesus is and how much God loves. That's ridiculous. Then the world will know that you have sent me, Jesus says, and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus said something similar in John 13. He said, uh, by this, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But it's not just that we love one another with a human love. It's not just that we be friends or we like to hang out every week or that we just put up with each other's differences. No, it's that we would love one another as God does. It's that we would lean into, perhaps fall into, headlong into divine love the way the Trinity loves. Because divine love is different than human love. We find ourselves caught up in divine love, released into divine love, rather than, than conjuring up human love. 
You see, we partake in divine love. We are invited into its fullness. This is so freeing. We don't have to make up this love for unity. We don't just have to, everyone come in for the group hug, pat on the back, we're unified. We don't even have to have the feelings of love to be in divine love. I may not have the feelings of love towards people, especially those people I disagree with. But I can be convinced that I am wrapped up in the love of the divine with them. And that means something for me. That means something for my actions. The love is already there and I just join in it. Despite my feelings or my objections or the way it might be for this human. This is a part of what it means to be a multiplier of disciples. Finding ourselves in the midst of that love. And this is also what it means to come to this table to receive communion. The love, the divine love of Christ manifest in feeding, in sacrificing, in death, in life. It is right here. And this is a love that is multiplied among us. When we come together, we are not admitting, oh, pat on the back, let's be friends. We are admitting that we are desperate for the unity of Christ, to be found in Christ and unified with Christ and then to be found in unity with one another. We are convinced here every time we come of our oneness, not our sameness, our oneness. And it is certainly a mystery of grace offered us at this table. And so as we prepare, I invite us uh, to pray to this divine union. Oh God, it is just the outpouring of love that's here. And it is certainly a mystery. And I ask and I pray that we, it would not be human will that would bring us to this place. But rather the deep, deep desire to be found in union with you. That here divisions would be actually laid down for the sake of something so great as divine love. And that we might come to trust, trust ourselves within that love, and trust ourselves with the responsibility of continuing that love mysteriously as it multiplies. We thank you for the gift of it. In Jesus' name, amen.